All right, we are live. Yay! Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. Um, we apologize for the delay. Um, I am known to repel technology with grace and ease, and tonight was uh, no exception to that rule. But um, Diana is with me. You, we can't see her, but we can hear her. Diana, are you I'm like the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> I've come to haunt you all. <laughs> and with us tonight, we have uh, Rachel Rosilli. Hello, Rachel. Hi, guys. Now, uh, Rachel is a fellow podcaster, um, and uh, I don't even know how to how to introduce you, Diana. How do you <laughs> take it away? <laughs> Um, well, gosh, I don't even know how to uh, introduce Rachel. She does so much stuff, really. Um, I know her through the 501st, which is the organization that does all of the wonderful stormtrooping stuff. So whenever you see a stormtrooper, yes, that's your helmet, isn't it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, whenever you see a stormtrooper at a charity event or one of those other fun Star Wars events, it's usually one of, one of them, or I should say one of us, since I'm trying to get my costume together. Um, and she does the podcasting, and she is just nerd girl extraordinaire, really, when it comes down to it. <laughs> yeah, anything geeky or uh, remotely tied to a creative field, I'm all down for it. Oh, I heard a dog. Well, thank you very much for joining us, um, Rachel. I am tweeting the link to um, to join our or watch our live conversation this evening and I'm tagging everyone in it so we can retweet and and let everyone know that we are actually on air this evening. Um check us out. So I was telling Rachel before and I know I'm probably breaking you know a million rules in the the geek code right now. Um, for anyone who has seen, anyone who is a fan of uh, How I Met Your Mother, I'm the Stella of the group. I have never seen Star Wars. <laughs> and I know that the only people who haven't seen Star Wars are the people in Star Wars because, that's, they, because they lived the Star Wars. But I, I've seen the new ones, so that counts. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, we'll, we'll let those count. Even though they're my least favorite, we'll let them count. As long as she's starting to build her knowledge base, it's okay. I'm yeah, we'll let her slide. I'm starting, and I, I mean, now it makes more, it, it makes more sense to me. Um, my, my big oops moment was when the, I mean, what am I supposed to call them? Are they, like, I the know prequel? that the, 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 Episodes one, two, three. Did no one like those? Are those like the episodes no one talks about? No. Right, Diana. Your your point of view on this because I have a very distinct point of view. Uh, I'm always the defender of the prequels because people either don't mind them or completely hate them with all of their being. But I think that anything that comes into Star Wars canon, especially if it had Lucas's touch on it. Everyone should accept that. It's part of the universe. It's part of how he meant it to be. 
I accept it, and I understand where he was going with it because he wanted the whole story to be the tragedy of Vader. And so I accept that, and I see where he was trying to go with it. I just have some serious problems with it. <laughs> and so, I mean, acting aside, I, I mean, I like the storyline idea of it. I like the idea of uh, the Jedi forbidden love that you have between Princess Amidala and um, Anakin Skywalker. But my problem is the casting. That's where they screwed up. You've got episode one, and then you have, and you have this little boy who's like, what, eight years old in it? And you have this woman who's like 20-something at the time. And then fast forward to the next movie, which is what, not even four years later, she hasn't aged a day, and all of a sudden he's like this strapping, young, handsome, leading man. Well, hold on. Now, Queen Amidala is supposed to be about 14. She's still, she's still a teenager when she takes reign. So when you fast forward to Anakin growing up so much in those years, it makes a little bit more sense. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. But then again, I go right back to the casting issue. <laughs> Maybe they shouldn't have gone with Natalie Portman in that first one. Maybe oh, they should no. have the teenage girl. I love Natalie Portman. I, I think she did a fantastic job. And she is one of my favorite characters actually in the Star Wars universe. The, the age thing was always meant to be a little bit taboo, so no matter what you did, like, that kind of was meant to be there. Um, but I love her. I totally get that. I mean, the whole cougar thing completely works, especially <laughs> with somebody as beautiful as Natalie. But, <laughs> but frankly, and she is a great character overall. I really, she's a strong fe um, feminist character, which is... Um, I would love to get your take on this, Rachel, about how she's such, for the most part, I have an issue with the way they wrote uh, her, the way they handled her death. Yeah. On episode. This, well, you know what's funny about that is, so this is another argument, Michelle, that people have. Um, at, at the end of the movie, they say they can't explain why they're losing her and that she's lost the will to live. And so they make the um, assumption that she's dying of a broken heart. And then everyone says, oh, that can't Which happen. is medically possible. Yeah. I buy that. It is medically possible. So, and then now that we had all of this with Carrie Fisher and her mother, um, I actually posted that and I was like, oh, remember this, guys? <laughs> this is something that actually <laughs> happens. Now, you see, my problem with this is, okay, she dies of a broken heart. But she's going to be a bloody mother, for Christ's sakes. Yes. And well. The mama bear thing kicks in, and I mean, I don't care how much you love a guy, you're going to have that motherly instinct where he, he tries to force choke her, but yet she still loves him, because everybody loves that toxic masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> well, that as from an outsider point of view, that... I, that could almost be where the age comes into play because how much time passes? I mean, I don't, I don't know how much time is supposed to pass from when they meet to when she has a kid. Because if she's, you know, if she's fourteen when they meet, and she's in her what maybe early twenties when yeah, when she's supposed to be in her twenties, right? So she's super young, and this is her first love, and you you know how hard first loves die so absolutely so that could 
that could come into play. But I I thought that was one thing that I was watching the first movie going. So she falls in love with this kid, but that's that's kind of weird. But <laughs> is that so? Is that storyline of um, Queen Amidala falling in love with Anakin? Is that in like the the world from the books, or how does how does how do we know about that storyline before that movie? Does that we that don't yeah we don't know about it before. George mm -hmm. did a specific like way of storytelling where he chose to start the story from the center of the action from the middle. So originally he said, I have this great idea. I, I know what happens in the middle. I know what happens at the beginning and the end, but I'm going to tell it starting from right here with Luke. And then when he got to go back and tell the prequels, then he wrote out that story and said, okay, so here's what happens. So there's this idea that he had that he would, that a little Anakin would fall in love with, you know, this uh, strong woman, but he didn't necessarily have like all of the ages and stuff down. So I don't know. I thought it was something that really was thought provoking, but then later on, you can't control who you love. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I like where his intent was. And when it goes back to the books too, one of the other thing is um, we were, Ryan and I, my husband, we were actually both really into the books and it was interesting that after the with the books for the rights, he would allow books for after episode six, but he would not allow any books for before that because he wanted to create the canon. He had this story in mind, and he didn't want to get any other didn't want any other authors involved in it at all. So that's why he didn't he didn't have any books in there. But yeah, I mean, I love his intent with it. That that taboo of you know, you can't control who you love, the forbidden romance. It was such a great idea. It just, I think it fell flat in the storytelling. And I think it goes back to the idea that he got, uh, how do you, how do I put it? He was infatuated with technology. Yes. Very much. And because he was infatuated with the technology, the, the actual storyline fell apart. So, Moving forward to episodes three, four, or I'm sorry, four, five, and six, we've got crappy technology, but this fantastic storyline. I I like the storyline, and I like what he was trying to do with the prequels, and so hence why I'm always the defender of them. I do agree that like those are going to be the weakest ones in um, acting, or you know, there's some scenes where you have Anakin where he's like so whiny that you, you could just skip right over it. But that was also done with intention, you know? You were supposed to be a little bit annoyed and like, why can't this guy just, you know, get over it and control himself? Because when it comes time for him to lose control, then it's so much more believable that he has no control over his emotions, no control over anything, and so that's why his quest for power overtakes him, so. Absolutely, I can agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> And so now, okay, I, I have you know, I have two kids, so the only movies that I really get to watch are animated. So I haven't been able to go out and see the new one. That one is a, a standalone. It's like in the same universe, but not the same storyline. Is that right? That's right. Okay. So It's like a branch off of the main storyline. 
So you have episode three where things left off where Anakin basically becomes Darth Vader. Uh, the kids get whisked away to their new homes. And then you have um, the Jedi. What, what's left of the Jedi's have gone into hiding. And Amidala's dead and gone. And in that first, in the, like, one of the first parts, I think it is, Rachel, like, in the, was it the first scene or so? Rough, not first, first scene, but the first scene where you see Darth Vader in episode four, he actually talks about these rebels, and he talks about them having the plans for the Death Star. He's like, oh, you don't need to worry about them. Right. That's where this story comes across from. It's just from that few lines of dialogue, we get this whole movie about how the rebels got those plans for the Death Star. Okay. So, so now I, I can see how it's kind of coming together. But one thing that I, I love, and I know, and you know, you don't have to be a huge Star Wars fan to, to pick up on this, is that he can, George Lucas has consistently put strong women in leading roles in every single one of, of these films. I don't think, I mean, I haven't seen them, but I haven't really come across or heard of, you know, the typical damsel in distress damsel in distress characters in any of his movies. You know, I was thinking about this in preparation for our talk today, and even the the one girl that I can think of that kind of fits more of that mold for movies from the you know seventies and eighties, which is Ula the dancer. She's chained up by Jabba the Hutt and she's dancing for him, right? And this is, she's a slave girl. Even in the end, she f like fights back and is saying no and trying to break away and, and not just accepting her fate. So, and, and all the other, all the other female characters and the, the leads and everything are really strong and, and have all these admirable qualities. But even the ones like that, that are supposed to be portrayed as, you know, the slave girl have a little fight in them, which I love. See, that's awesome. And I think especially now that that's probably a, um, you know, character development that wasn't that typical when the first original movies were made. But especially now when, you know, women are, are always portrayed in a certain way. And even if they're strong or independent, they're, you know, half naked running around. Right. Um, I almost feel like it's even more um, noteworthy to say that he's sticking to that, um, you know, that character formula now. And um, I read an article when Rogue One was coming out about how the actress, and I can't remember her name. Felicity Jones. Yes. How she <laughs> refused to wear a tank top. Um, in in the film that she she made sure that she wanted to be covered up and she didn't want to have her femininity or her her sexuality play any type of role in her character development which I thought was awesome yeah e even you know the directors after um, the original movies you know we have JJ and he he's got Ray in this film and, you know, Finn goes to save her and she's already beat up all of the thugs. And he's like, oh, all right, well, I'm going to hang out with her then, you know. And, and <laughs> oh, I love it where they're leader. running away in episode eight. They're running from stuff and he keeps grabbing her by the hand and she's like, will you let go of me? I'm perfectly capable of running by myself. I don't need you to hold my hand. <laughs> yeah. She's annoyed that he keeps trying to hold her hand, which is hilarious. <laughs> 
Well, I think it's interesting. It's it's setting up an entirely different genre of role models, especially for the new generation that didn't, you know, I'm, I mean, we didn't grow up with Star Wars, but it was closer to our generation. But, you know, girls today, it's setting up the idea that you don't have to rely on anyone to, you know, to take care of yourself. You can take care of yourself by your by yourself. Which, to be <laughs> honest, the next generations kind of need. Right. I saw yeah. I saw like a meme, uh, which I, I saved it somewhere because it was so great. But it kind of sums up what you're talking about. And it has the Disney princesses, and they're all sitting around a campfire. And, you know, they're all dressed in their crowns and their floof and, you know. And then it has Leia. And she's standing at the front and she's making a scary face and telling the scary story around the campfire. And she says, and then the Death Star. And all the other princesses are like, oh! And I'm like, that is who I wanted to be when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things that I love about um the Princess Leia character was that that was the princess that I wanted to be too because I didn't fit into the princess mold right. at the time. We didn't have Belle when I was a kid when I first saw Star Wars. And I think Belle is the most feminist of all of the Disney princesses that you have. But I didn't want to be Snow White. Um, you know, I didn't like, you know, the dwarves. And I found her quite annoying, even at the tender age of five. Right. Well, I like cleaning, so I mean, who who wanted to you know live with seven guys and clean up after them all the time? No, yeah, that's not a good idea. When when Leia took the gun away and started shooting back at the stormtroopers and yelled at Han to get into the garbage chute, Flyboy, that I, I was sold. I was like, I would totally be her. <laughs> I think my favorite line of hers is, "I am not a committee," because I think I could relate to that so much. <laughs> Oh, excuse me. Sorry, am I the only one having wine tonight? Diana, please tell me you're drinking wine. Oh, hell yes. After, it has been a crazy whirlwind week, and um, for those of you who haven't heard or anything, I have been um, working my butt off on a literary festival coming up on March 4th, and I had a goal of this week of being able to get all of my authors lined up uh, for that, and I was just able to do it today. So, between my computer failing me and being able to do that, because that took a lot of energy and a lot of work, um, yeah, I'm having like a half a bottle. <laughs> I, I have no shame. That is nothing to be ashamed of anyway. <laughs> How about you, Rachel? Are you drinking anything tonight? Yes, I, I have a Chianti red wine. Oh, excellent choice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, All right, guys. Oh, I actually think I got my computer fixed, so I'm going to try something here. Oh, we're getting fancy with our experimenting here. Right? Well, I might have to do it quickly. And... Alright, I think I'm working. So I'm going to hang up real quick. Okay. Well, while Diana tries that, I have... I made questions. Ooh. So now how okay, so how did you first get introduced to Star Wars? How did how did it happen? Okay. So I was six years old and the uh, sixth episode of Star Wars, you know, the last three of the original, right, had been out. 
um, for oh five years or so on on home video. And so my dad said, "Why don't you guys come and watch this movie?" And we were like, "Okay." So I was six, my brother was five, and we went to sit down, and Darth Vader came on the screen and scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and I was like, "I do not want to watch this." Oh my gosh. So um, I, did, I didn't watch it, and uh, I always thought it was like some scary thing. And then later on, when I was about 12, uh, my brother said, you know, oh, you, you're always into all this sci-fi stuff and space, and all, you love all that kind of stuff. You know, we never actually watched the Star Wars movie, and people always talk about it. We should watch that. And I was like, oh, you had a good point. We should totally do that. And so we watched it, and before, I mean, the word started crawling at the end of the first movie, I was smacking him and yelling and telling him to put the next one in right away. And I was hooked from the first time I saw it. And so I was that girl growing up that had the, you know, posters all over her room and, and the figures set up and everything, but they weren't of, you know, the boy bands or the teen magazine. They were of Anakin Skywalker and Queen Amidala and Obi-Wan, you know. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it was it was downhill from there. <laughs> it was love at first sight, basically. Yes, exactly. And so, okay, which one is your favorite? I I don't I don't know them. I know I mean I know the gist. I couldn't tell you you know what happens in in which episode, but I know the general storyline. Okay, so I don't have a single favorite. I okay. have favorites like out of each group that have come out so if we're talking about the original trilogy mm -hmm. then my favorite is return of the jedi because i like how everything comes together and luke saves his father and you know han and leia come together and the story is at the pinnacle there for the prequels i like episode three again because it's this first time that you see vader take his breath you see why the twins get split up you see all of the pain and destruction that's happening not only to one family, but it's spreading out into the galaxy and it's just foreshadowing for what's going to happen. Um, when I sit down and, and go to pick one, I'm like, oh, which one am I gonna watch? I do pick seven often lately. I really enjoyed that movie. Um, but I do know that based on the storyline and where we're going with eight, um, that is probably gonna be my favorite of all time because I've always, loved the Jedi and the philosophy and ode to history and things that are behind that. And so because we're going to be touching on a Jedi temple in some form, I already know it's going to be my favorite. So, all right. And in the, the most recent one in, in seven, um, okay. Anyone who hasn't seen it or doesn't know what happened, cover your ears. Cause I don't By this time you should have seen it. <laughs> um, so, um, Han's character dies, and now you know Carrie Fisher passed away. And how do you think? I mean, that obviously has to be addressed in the film because Leia is a crucial character to the the advancement of the storyline. How do you what? How do you think he'll handle that and and incorporate it into the story? So all of the shooting, all the filming for Episode Eight. Is already been completed oh okay well that answers that question yeah everything is already done and they're not going back and editing and changing anything from what I've read now nine is going to be the thing that's different because whatever plans there were for her character obviously now have to be altered so mm -hmm. that we haven't gotten any 
and it's too it's way too early to know for sure anyway but we haven't gotten any hints of whether cg is going to be involved whether they're going to you know write out the story um in, in some way where she ends up dying in the movie that kind of thing um whatever they choose to do i hope that it shows an honor to the character mm -hmm. because because of the integral part that she's played in not only the movies, but in the expanded universe books, in the comics, in all of these things that so many of us that have been into it for our entire lives hold as the truths of what happened or, or who she was, you know, and not just gloss over it with, oh, something blew up. There we go. You know? Right. And did in you know anticipation of the movie did did everyone know that he would be bringing back all you know han and leia did was that kind of a known fact or was that a, a big reveal for the movie no so if you want to know the information there are ways to find it and whether that's through texting me or you know following some things online which people do both um when they had announced that they were shooting, they announced the cast that the original cast would be returning. So okay. we, we knew that they were going to be in it. Um, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen, obviously. And the fact that what was happening with Han Solo was actually kept a secret was really impressive. So mm -hmm. kudos to JJ. Well, I remember um, the, the reveal in the original um, three episodes at the end of um, episode six that Darth was Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father. Wasn't that like one of the biggest reveals in cinematic history? It was. Um, in episode five is when he first says it to or, Luke. Oh, sorry. Um, but and, and Luke doesn't believe him, and so we're not sure if this is like some kind of ploy or you know Vader's trying to get in his head and, and work a little dark side magic or something, you know. But when we realize that it's actually the truth and you know, Yoda or tells him that, you know, yeah, okay, you're, you're right, but you weren't ready for this. Um, it is one of, one of the craziest things, which is why you see so many things that reference Star Wars saying, you know, I am your father. Because back then, that was, like, a huge cinematic victory to be able to have this, like, crazy, also a little strange relationship going on in this movie, you know. So... Strange relationships really aren't new to to this franchise. He kind of has the um, the market cornered on taboo relationships between characters. Yeah, I think George really yeah. liked to play with. I am. I am back and not done. What? No more technical difficulties tonight. I seem to be repelling all technology this week. My Xbox broke yesterday, so yeah, it can't connect to the internet at all so uh yeah that's tragic I know the gremlin that has moved into my house which means i get to drink more wine <laughs> so uh we were just talking about how rachel got involved with the star wars universe and just um kind of about the i was asking you know how in episode seven, um, Hansel was killed off, and how what Carrie Fisher's death would mean for future episodes. Mm -hmm. 
But Diana, I don't think I ever heard your Star Wars story. My, it's kind of weird because I kind of don't really remember a time when there wasn't Star Wars in my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's weird. I just, I remember being, my earliest Star Wars memory is I had to be five or six. Now, one thing everybody has to understand is I am on the younger end of 28 first cousins. So I was always a little one and there were mostly dudes. And I was, I had an, I was at my aunt's house and there were a bunch of random cousins there. I don't even know how some of them were related to me. If they were even first cousins, they might've been like second or third cousins twice removed. Lord only knows. And, but I do remember my first cousin Mario there with me and I'm trying to watch the movie and every time the emperor would come on and it wasn't with anything else, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it was episode six that I was watching and the, every time he would come on, he would put his hands over my eyes and be like, oh, you can't watch this. It's too scary. You can't watch it. And I remember getting in trouble for punching him because I was like, just leave me alone. I want to watch the movie. And then I was older when I went over to, um, I can't, I used to come out, I lived back East and I came out here during the summertime and I had to be like eight or nine. And my dad actually sat me down to watch, watch them all chronologically. And then he took me to Universal Studios the next day. And I remember not being interested in Universal Studios at all. Cause all I could think about was Star Wars. <laughs> And there was nothing Star Wars at Universal, so it was like, this is kind of boring. And I kept saying how boring it was, and then my parents never took me back. <laughs> All right, now it's, it's my turn to step away, because I can hear my daughter crying, and my husband can sleep through anything, so he, she, she will just keep crying. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, we talked about how you got involved in the Star Wars universe. How did you... And why did you decide to start dressing up like a stormtrooper? Oh, geez. So I had been interested in cosplay since I was a teenager. I would build costumes for Halloween, and um, I was into anime. So I wanted to build an anime costume and go to uh, Anime Con in Indianapolis, which was like the first big one for the Midwest. And um, when I started realizing that, I wanted to have like a Jedi costume or, or build those kinds of costumes. Um, I started off, you know, really simple. And so I'd do whatever I could get my hands on at the time. And then later I'd upgrade. Right. And so mm -hmm. I ended up with a bunch of different costumes, um, Jedi, Padme, Leia, stuff like that. Um, but I always wanted to join the 501st, the Mando Mercs. Um, and so I was friends with people that were in it, but it was always so expensive. And so, I made the choice. I have a, a huge Star Wars collection. I know you can't tell by the couple things here, but. No, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, so I would always put it towards my collection instead. And so mm -hmm. um, I just made the, you know, the idea that one day I would save up and then build the costume. And so when um, Anovos came out with the Stormtrooper armor, and it was significantly less than what had been going around, um, I jumped on that opportunity. I was like, this is it. This is, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to buy this armor, get the stuff, and I'm going to start building, and, and now I'm going to join. And that's, I mean, at least 10 years after I had been going to 501st events and friends that had been in it and stuff, and I just never, you know, had saved up and taken the plunge. But 
So I did that, and so now I'm finishing the rest of my stuff for uh, Mercs and all the other things and fulfilling all my dreams, you know. <laughs> all of our Star Wars dreams. Yeah. Now, how long have you been an actual Stormtrooper? The Novos came out, what, two years ago, one year ago? Well, the orders were out two years ago, and then you know how long they take the ship, so. Yes. Yeah, they so I got mine about this time last year, and so then okay. a couple months to build, so. Um, yeah, it'll be almost a year. Very cool. Yeah, my husband got his um, just before the Anubis came out, but it took him like a year to actually sit down and build because he was so afraid to actually do it. Because for those of you who are watching and listening who don't know, we get like a bin of plastic parts. And you might have seen some of my pictures on Instagram because I have a bin of plastic parts for my Scout Trooper uh, costume. And that's pretty much what it is, is it just comes in pieces and you have to shape it and form it and put it together. And it's scary cutting down some of those yeah. pieces where it's like, okay, if I cut off too much, am I going to ruin the whole thing? And then can get paralyzed by fear with that. Yeah, and especially if you've never built armor with, with any kind of materials before, you you know, you're so afraid that one little scratch, mm -hmm. you know, turns into a break later or you can't rebuy the pieces. And so it's pretty intimidating at first, but once you get started and you've completed your first suit, regardless of what it is, it's it's like tattoos. Once you have one, like you gotta have another one. <laughs> I've heard that, yeah. With my husband, you know, he didn't he wanted he wants to do another one, but then he's like, I wanna get you going first on yours. And yeah. I'm lucky I've got him because I am too scared. I'm like, I can't do the, the, the hard pieces. So he's he's getting that itch out to do another costume by working on the hard pieces for mine. And I'm working on, on all the soft stuff for, for it. So it's kind of, we got this really good agreement going on. It's funny that you would think like, you know, in 2016 or 17 that you would go to set up your armor or go to a party like that. Um, you know, they, we have armor parties. So if you guys are interested in joining, you can come to, uh, you know, a gathering where everybody is helping each other work on their armor and, and learn some tricks and stuff like that. And so I would go to these and I thought, okay, you know, I'm, I'm used to as a Star Wars fan girl being one of the only girls in the room for most things. Right. But I didn't even think about it. And then going there and using all the tools and stuff and saying, hey, can I borrow your sander? And, you know, my, my Dremel cord is a little shorter. Can I use that extension cord and stuff? And everyone's like, oh, you don't need help with that? <laughs> I am building Star Wars costumes. I think I got it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another interesting thing is being a girl in the Star Wars universe to many outside of the fandom it's kind of like, what, there's girls in this? There's girls who yeah. actually love it? Um, and then even further, going further with, um, you know, dressing up, that's like, people are like, what, a girl can be a stormtrooper? It's so weird. I and love that, though. We, we've done a couple <laughs> events where the there will be little girls, and they'll come over and be like, oh, that's so cool, and they'll hear, like, through my mic, you know, that I'm a girl, and they run away screaming, oh my gosh, it's a girl, look, I want to be a stormtrooper, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've just inspired them. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. I have, um, I did the, an event for the foster kids. Hi, Lily. Oh, Hi, Lily. Say hi. Yeah, she, I tried Monsters, Inc. I tried, uh, in and out or inside out I tried frozen nothing is working in so she's gonna hang out 
that's okay. She can hang out and talk Star Wars with us. We're talking about what it's like to be a girl and be in the Stormtrooper outfits. I was listening. So um, I have a question about that. Is is that um, a predominantly male universe? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? A lot of guys. Especially, I mean, in, depending on which, which area you're in, you might have some more females that are doing uh, officer costumes or, or something like that. Um, but to be, you know, a stormtrooper or a Vader or, or something like that, that you assume is a guy, there's not a whole lot of us that are like, oh yeah, guess what? Yeah. And what? I still, one of my favorite stories is um, with one of our 501st members in the OC squad. She was at an event. It was like one of those uh, charity walks and they're taking pictures and stuff. And this girl comes up to uh, one of our garrison commanders and he, and she's, she's with her family, and her family is like, come on, take the picture with us. And she's like, no, Star Wars is for boys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you heard that yeah. one, yeah. And so he was like, really, really? And he calls the, the girl over. Um, and she's got like this beautiful, long black hair, which all comes tumbling out. And the girl was just so, this normal girl was just so shocked that it was a girl in there that girls can like Star Wars too. That so and that's always one of my favorite little anecdotes. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you first get involved in that? And I, I heard you guys talking about building your costumes and how it's not like a a kit that comes, you know, like some assembly required. It's all assembly all required. Assembly, yeah. <laughs> you you I have to uh, you, you get the molds, and so you have to cut out the pieces. And then as you've trimmed out each individual little plate, then you have to fit them to you um, in mm -hmm. however you're, you're going to piece it together. And then you have to glue it together, you know, modify stuff, strap it all so that you can take it on and off in a certain way, right? And then you have to make sure it's screen accurate. So now it has to be built like it was in the 70s. Right. So you'll have pieces falling off. So you'll be out <laughs> at a troop and it'll be for like an hour or two. And those costumes, when they did it on the set, they were meant for like what fifteen minutes worth of yeah. shooting. Something don't cut, they fix what was wrong, and then go they go on with it. But now you have these costumes that you have to be screen accurate. So something that's supposed to last for only fifteen minutes, you have to make last for over an hour, or two, or four. Oh or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what are some of the like tricks that you learn to make yes. make sure that you're that you survive the hour without, you know, costume malfunctions. Wranglers. Yeah. Wranglers, such as myself. Up until, since, until I get my costume going, um, we have people, plain clothes people, following around the troopers. Um, if something goes wrong, they're like, um, help, help, help. And you have to, like, snap something in or put something back in, help them dress, make sure little kids don't kick them or that they don't trip over children. Yeah. Uh, because you can't see... And you can't really bend, like you can't lift your arms up enough to grab your own helmet, and you can't bend over to touch your own shoe, so, you know, you need help. <laughs> yeah, when we did the foster uh, home um, yeah. last year, yeah, that was my event that I organized. Um, and I had to really, really stress with uh, the volunteers that we had that the characters cannot see, they can't look down, so they can't see below eye level. We're going to have five-year-olds here. So they can't see them, and they will trip over them. Because right. like the people who were, I was planning the event with, they're like, so how about we have them there while the movie's on and the lights are down? 
And I was like, no, no that won't work. <laughs> like they will trip and they will fall on their face and they will hurt themselves or they will hurt one of your kids. <laughs> so let's see here. What other questions do we have? Um, I know you guys talked about Carrie Fisher, which is, I still get upset over. I'm still quite sad over. Yeah. And yeah. I think maybe, did you guys, now you guys talked about how she was, um, what it meant for her to be in the in the films and what's going to happen going forward. But what about her as a person? Did you guys touch on that at all by Not chance? Yet. Huh? Not yet. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that. Because she was a brilliant author. Um, I'm kind of bummed I didn't actually start getting into her books until after her death. I ordered The Princess Diarist, and I plan on reading that fairly soon. Because she wrote one novel... And then two nonfiction ones. And to get me to read nonfiction is, is really like pulling teeth. You have to really, yeah. really to do that. I agree. Now, do, do you, was Carrie Fisher, did, do you think her role as Princess Leia was designed, created the way that it was before she took that role? Or do you think she took it and made it hers? And she was the driving force behind it. I think it was a combination of both. Yeah. Where it was, it was the first one was at least created the way it was for episode four. And so she came in in that role. And then as she really settled into it, she kind of created the Princess Leia of episode five and six. Yeah, there's a lot of things that you can see in, in interviews or, you know, behind the scenes stuff on various versions of DVDs um, where they're talking about the things that she was supposed to do or say or whatever, but no one could really see uh, how it was supposed to come together or I think one of the words that they use is it didn't have life until you saw Carrie do it. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, now I get it. So, yeah, one of those serendipitous moments, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite thing, you know, she said two wonderful things about Star Wars. You know, her obituary, no matter how she went, she wanted it to be, I was drowned in moonlight, strangled by my own bra. And I think that is something every woman wants to go. I, I want to go that way. <laughs> I think most of us want to go that way, too. Well, and, and that was a joke, sort of, right? From yeah. George saying why she couldn't wear a bra in the original film. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. in space, you don't, you don't have underwearing space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would love it. My boobs, my boobs would actually be perky in space. <laughs> First time in my life. <laughs> Zero gravity. Oh, sorry. You'll learn about that yeah. soon, Lily, okay? <laughs> yeah, not for a long time, probably after you have kids. <laughs> you keep telling it yourself that, Mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you drink more wine. That's why I drink wine. Well, then the, my other second thing that she's the second thing that she said that I absolutely love is um, she when that whole scandal came out about the Princess Leia slave dolls, and oh, this one dad wanted it pulled from the shelves. And I don't know if you heard her comment on this, Rachel, or not, but they asked her what her thoughts were, and she was like, "I would tell him that a fat man made this girl wear an outfit that she didn't want to wear, so she took a chain and strangled him, and then went home and changed." 
That's <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like, what a wonderful life lesson. Cause that's true. That's what happens. And it goes back to the feminism of star Wars. A fat man made her wear something she didn't want to wear. So she killed him and went home and changed. And yep. I brought up that point the other day. Somebody was asking me about it, and they said, oh, oh, really, women in Star Wars, well, what about that metal bikini? And I said, yeah, you know what she did with that metal bikini? Like, mm -hmm. And even looking at it as the sexualized way, where so many boys were like, oh, the slave girl outfit. So rarely did you see her portrayed in that slave girl outfit with the chains on. It was always in that bikini itself. And let's face it, this is the early 80s when this is coming out. So women are just at that point completely grasping their sexuality and really owning it. So to have a woman owning, running around in a slave costume and killing a, a creature, because we can't really call Jabba, Hutt, Jabba the Hutt a man, because if we do so, then we'd also have to call Donald Trump a man. And I'm not quite ready to do that. <laughs> So you have this woman who's owning her sexuality and taking her matters into her own hands to save herself. And for that time period, that was revolutionary. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I just had a question about that. And, and it, it flew out of my head. But it'll come back because it was a good one. Okay. Um, and if I guess I'm interviewing kind of both of you tonight because... This is a huge topic for both of you, but how would you say um, that Princess Leia and, and Carrie Fisher, just as Leia and as a person, helped influence who you are today, just as, as a, a woman? So, as I mentioned, growing up being the girl that didn't want all the same things that all the other teenage girls did, right? Um, I loved being able to have a character that was strong-willed, that didn't mean she was a, you know, swear word, that she could be strong and, you know, be um, representing her planet for the galaxy and, and often head of the rebellion and doing all of these other things and yet still looking over her shoulder at Han, you know, and you, even even the times when she you know, pushes away and has to be the strong one, she, you know, realizes all the things that she wants, whether it's all of these grand career choices or this one man, you know? Um, and I, I just loved that you didn't have to be uh, weak or the damsel in distress and that you could turn around and find a, a female Jedi or a princess that actually, you know, was head of the rebellion or um, a queen that, was queen when she was 14 and then went on to, you know, change the galactic Senate. Like all, all of these options where it wasn't just uh, a secondary thought. And so I loved that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. With, with the princess Leia character itself, it was the matter of, I could still be a princess. I can still be a tomboy that I feel that I am in so many ways. And I could still be pretty and like pretty things and be pretty things, but I could still also be a badass if I wanted to. I could be the one who gets to shoot the gun with the boys and to call the shots and be quote unquote bossy. Or as I like to say, using my executive skills. Nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it 
there was this great meme that came out after she had died where it was like Princess Leia taught us that princess weren't all, princesses aren't always about tea parties. That's right. Mm. Yes. And Princess Leia, I don't think, would ever have a tea party. I think she would have a whiskey and a teacup party, which I would totally be down for. <laughs> teacup would be present. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, she meant a lot in that regards and being able to, you know, grow up in that way. And then when episode seven came out, she was the general at that point. And it was having her evolved so much at that point kind of spoke to me to, to the woman that I wanted to be because she was, or that I want to be now where she's stoic, she's strong, she's a leader. And yet she still cares for her husband and she still cares about what happens to her son. It kind of, I feel like she helps fight that stereotype, or not stereotype, but the, the stigma that a lot of women face. I mean, me, I, I'm facing right now where, you know, I, I'm a mom, but I still have career goals for myself, but I kind of have to, you know, put them on hold. So I, I feel like even as someone who, who didn't grow up with the movies, who didn't, you know, who, who really isn't part of that world, I feel like she helped, helps show women that you don't have to choose between, you know, a family or marriage or love or all of that. You don't have to choose between that and, you know, fulfilling your destiny to, to make, you know, to, to sound super cheesy. No, well said, well said. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and one of the other things I love about Carrie Fisher in and of herself is that she was, outside of the movies, she wasn't afraid to be who she was. Right. She was a crazy lunatic in so many regards, and she was quirky and fun, and she talked about mental illness and normalized it so that it wasn't this weird thing. And that did so much for the community as a whole, and, in gen and for women and people in general, that she was such a great role model in that regards. And didn't I read that her, even her in her... Uh her ashes were bottled in a giant Prozac pill or? Yep, that was her. Yep. <laughs> yep. She actually had that Prozac pill sitting on her mantle at home and it was hollow and her son, her brother and her daughter decided that was where her ashes were going to be put. <laughs> That's awesome. Because <laughs> she actually loved that big Prozac pill. Rachel, you looked like you had some thoughts on the matter. No, I just, it it's, so her to be in your face and owning up to everything that she is, flaws and all, you know? Did you go to the Star Wars celebration that was in Anaheim? I did. Did you get to meet her there? Um, I met her uh, at the one before that in Orlando. Oh, cool. How was she in that? Because I know in Anaheim, she had this fascination with glitter. She loved glitter, and she kept throwing glitter at people at Anaheim, and they took it, the glitter away from her. <laughs> so she had to actually paint people's nails with glitter. So Ryan, for as until it actually came off on its own, walked around with two fingers covered in glitter. <laughs> she was just really bad at it. Because people, they came, they got their autograph, and then she'd paint their nails with glitter, and then they move on. So it was a really long wait. So I had to go to work. 
on Friday. I couldn't go and I couldn't see her. I couldn't hear her thing. So he went and stood in line and that's all he did that day was just wait for Carrie Fisher. Yeah. I got to go um, at Celebration 6 in Orlando and uh, got her autograph and, you know, you, you had to go behind the curtains and everything. And I I had VIP, so I had where you jumped the line for autographs and stuff. And of course, I saved them for her and Hamill. And that day I had been running around doing a bunch of stuff and it was Slave Leia Day. So, of course, I was dressed up and in costume and I didn't mean to be in that costume when I went and got her autograph. It just, the timing worked out and then I was standing there going, Oh, oh, well, all right, you know. Um, but of course, she commented on it and you know uh, made jokes, which was hilarious, and and talked to me a little bit and as she was signing and stuff. And it was just, it was so cool that um, she always made light of those things, but owned it in a way that that made you want to be her even more. Mm -hmm. Oh, Rachel, did we lose you? We might have. We might have. Oh, please. Awesome. Well, well while, while we wait for her to come back, we can actually transition over to Dido's Crown. Yes, we can yes. do that. Let me. And I can put in an ad for Boko de Oro. There you go. And go. There we go. All right. It's ad time, people. Um, I have been working on this since, oh, God, since like August, September, August or September. Oh, did Lily fall asleep? No, she's awake. Okay, hi, Lily. She looks like she just kind of fell asleep, just fell over there. She's um, <laughs> So she's fighting it. She's totally fighting the sleep. Her eyes are closed now. It's so cute. Um, so with Boca de Oro, I I discovered this. You know, I didn't actually discover it. I came across. I have some friends who are working on it. And then those friends introduced me to another friend of theirs who became my friend. And they started talking about this, this literary festival that they were doing in March and would I want to be a part of it. And my response was hell yes. And it's the first time it's happening. It's in conjunction with the Santa Ana business district. And for those of you who are in the area, Santa Ana does an art fest the first Saturday of every month and all the arts, galleries are open and you can go from gallery to gallery and you have the restaurants are happening there's specials there's all sorts of things going on and you know, it's a really fun event and so we're going to actually incorporate the literary festival into this and so my section is going to be her story obviously with creating her story Oh. And we're going to have oh, Rachel's back. Oh, hey. Hello. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not the only one with technical difficulties happening. Apparently. <laughs> it's the theme for this evening. I'm glad yes. everyone got the memo. Overcoming technical difficulties. <laughs> See, my technical difficulty yeah. was uh, I'm in Chicago. So right now it's uh, where I'm two hours ahead of, of you guys. My te technical difficulties was my alarm clock, my husband, didn't wake me up at quarter to ten to get set up. So I woke up at like ten after and went, crap, babe, my show. 
That was my technical difficulty. While we were having our te my technical difficulties, I was messaging my husband going, your stupid microphone that you suggested that I use took over my computer and ruined things for me, and I need a new computer now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, screw it, I just need a new computer. It works. It's a valid request. I think so. I absolutely think so. So anyways, Boca de Oro, it's happening March 4th. I'm doing the Her Story section of the Literary Festival. And we are going to have, as I've mentioned earlier, I finalized everybody. Um, we're going to have Julie K. Rose, whose book, uh, Dido's Crown, that we're reading this month is going to be there. We are going to also have Erin Lindsay McCabe, who just uh, confirmed today with us. She wrote a book, just to let you know, Rachel, she wrote a book called I Shall Be Near to You. And it's about a woman who dresses up like a guy during the Civil War so that she can go fight alongside her husband. Nice. Little Mulan-esque. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Apparently a lot of that was happening in the Civil War. So, um, you know, thumbs up to, or actually I should say nose up to the people who say that women can't be in combat because women have been in combat pretty much since the beginning of the American, America itself. Um, and then I also have a steampunk book, which we're going to read. I got confirmation on it um, today. Yes. Um, her name, her literary name is B.E. Ouellette, and it's a steampunk book based out of uh, with a character who's from Iran. And she, yeah, she escapes from Iran and gets on this uh, airship and it's a really interesting book, so I'm really looking forward to us reading it. She's going to be one of our authors there. And then I've got, um, I'm going to read some stuff that I've been working on, because anybody who's listened to this knows I keep talking about these, like, random books I have yet to publish. And so I'm going to actually read from one of my books. Awesome. And, awesome. yeah, and we're going to have an indie author there, so I have to get some more information on her, and then once I do, I'll be able to advertise her, too. I really so, want to go there to come to this festival because it sounds like a lot of fun. Yes, and if you were still in California, I didn't talk much about it to you before before you moved because I didn't want you to feel bad about moving because it was like how much you'd want to be involved. But Rachel, you're in Southern California, so I hope you can come. I'm not going to say I expect you to come because I'm not going to be that pushy. So, <laughs> well, so when, I say, when I say hope, I really mean expect. Yeah, okay, got it. There's going to be a whole sci-fi section. It's not just my section. Um, oh, we're gonna have to, yeah, science fiction and fantasy. I'm already talking to them about requesting the 501st to come. Ah, and, that'd be perfect. Oh, Diana? Technical difficulties continue. <laughs> Well, do you have, um, while we wait for Diana to unfreeze, um, what's next for you as far oh. as the, oh, wait. Is I'm, back, I'm back. Yay. Oh, hi. Hi. I so need a new computer. <laughs> so, yeah, and then there's going to be a um, LGBT section and a migration section dealing with immigration. So it's going to be a really fun festival. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Do you have anything coming up, Rachel, with um, the 501st or? Um, with your podcast or when can we, where can we find your podcast and when is it and the title and everything? Okay, so I'm co-host on a podcast called Ashla Analysis. 
And this one is where we teach you about the Force. So imagine if you're going to Hogwarts, but more like for a Jedi, right? Uh, <laughs> so this is part of uh, the Twin Sons Network. Um, you can find it um, on my page on Facebook, Jedi Knight Rack. So it's Jedi Knight R-A-C. Um, you can uh, look us up on Twitter, of course. Um, and that one, uh, Ashla is the ancient name for the Force. So we do uh, an episode every month and teach you something different uh, for those of you that may know a little bit um, or those of you that would like uh, a little more detail. So you guys can look that up. Uh, there's also uh, the Geek Speak show that uh, I've been a part of in many different ways over the past few years. And I do the segment on that one for all the Star Wars news and everything called the Kessel Rundown. So you guys can look that up at thegeekspeakshow.com. The Kessel Rundown, I love that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, and if you wanna see any of uh, the events that we're doing or, or anything tied to the podcast or anything like that, you can always follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Jedi Night Rack. Yes, and we will be sharing that with everybody, so if you didn't write that down, don't worry. <laughs> I have uh, a notepad. I'm taking notes. So. I was taking notes, too, so I'll let Michelle do it because she's better at that stuff than I am. <laughs> I was really hurting in November. She took the whole month off, and I actually had to do the show by myself, so, like, no blog posts got done, nothing else got done, because it's a lot of work to do this on my own, and I didn't realize how much work Michelle actually did. <laughs> <laughs> It, it was really face, and then Michelle would come in. <laughs> it was really strange to not be doing it, and uh, for the month of December. And trust me, I would have much rather have been doing that than dealing with packing up the house and <sighs> moving stuff. <laughs> it's not fun, but I do. Think think that was all of my questions diana did you have any any other questions that that was all of my questions as much as i would love to continue talking about star wars all <laughs> night i could totally talk about star wars all night um we should probably let you go rachel unless you want to hang out um we are going to be talking about our book dido's crown that we've been reading so well, since how i did not have the pleasure of reading it i will take my leave thank you ladies <laughs> for having me on well, thank, thank you so you much, time. and thank and you thank for being here with all of my technical issues. <laughs> no problem. May the force be with <laughs> you both. And the force with you. <laughs> thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. So that is down. Yes. Hello. And now that my computer is actually officially working, and for some reason, for those of you who can't really tell, I'm getting really close to the screen like this because my dog has decided to crawl up on my lap and then crawl behind me and wedge herself between me and the chair, the back of the chair. So I'm currently dealing with that at the moment. I so if it's not one thing tonight, it's another. I keep this is why we're not all that professional. It's a very laid back show. If you're looking for professionalism, you may not find it here. Yeah, it's it's definitely not going to be here at all whatsoever. I keep asking Lily if she wants to go lay down, and she's like, nope, I'm good. She wants to spend time with Aunt Diana because she misses me because she hasn't seen me in forever. Isn't that right, Lily? She's Say like, yeah. In... <laughs> no. Say, she's so... Say that you were... Aunt Diana is the bestest person ever. Can you say hi? Yeah, I can't face by my, 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 my
So, <laughs> Dido's so, crown is wildly entertaining. I can't figure out. Okay, so when I first started reading, I thought Tom and Will were a couple. And I couldn't figure out what was going on at first. I'm like, okay, are they together? Are they not together? Who, how does Mary tie in? Was it like a group thing? <laughs> but I love how she set the stage without giving everything. Like, I still don't know what's going on. I mean, I, I do, but I don't. I'm on 13, I think. Okay. And I read all of those in like a day. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's a super easy read. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not like I have a ton of time just hang out and read at my leisure. Um, so it's, you know, it's a really, mm -hmm. it, it sucks you in right away. So you don't have to like trudge through, you know, pages of, oh my God, when is it going to start? <laughs> it starts right away. What I would I'm really glad that we're getting into it a little bit more but I really like the dynamic of Mary's marriage to John yeah it's kind of a weird marriage isn't it where it's just a marriage of convenience kind of it's very strange and I kind of like how like neither of them from the beginning like they're both like you're okay I mean, I can tolerate you. Let's let's just get, let's just do this. Let's get married. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't even pretend to mm -hmm. be in love with each other. It was just like, all right, I need this. You need this. Like, let's just get everyone off our back, and and we can probably benefit from this in some kind of way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's one of the things that you really miss from. Uh, marriages nowadays is that you have that mutual business contract because marriage isn't just about love and the, the fluffiness because as I'm sure you know when you have sick children and shit's going wrong left and right you have everything just falls apart and you got to have that contract of all right we're creating this business together we're creating this life together and it's we're in this together to do this. Like when Ryan and I got married, we said, okay, we're not going to get married forever. We have a 30 year contract. <laughs> and so, and what's true at 30 years, we decide whether or not we want to get a divorce or actually renew our vows. I'm voting for renew our vows right now. Um, but I'm also saying that when we renew our vows, we also have a deal that he has to watch three chick flicks a year with me. I want to renegotiate that to like four or five or at least have rollover so that if I don't use all of my chick flicks in a year, I can have them the next year. So I think we're going to have some negotiations happening. I think the rollover option is very fair. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I use all three of my chick flicks, then that's on me. But like there was one year where he managed to get away without having to watch a single chick flick with me. I should be able to have that the next year. Right. I mean, they roll over data. They roll over minutes. They should roll exactly. over. They should roll over Netflix. Um. So, okay. how do you like Mary? Mary. Okay, Mary reminds me so much of another character that from a book that we have both read, and I can't figure out who the character is, but it's driving me crazy. 
but she is like fiercely independent and very sarcastic and I love her sarcasm. I think she has handled the fact that she has been kidnapped and shot at and beaten up. And, and her husband put her in this situation. Her blasted husband did this to her. She was just that, expecting to drop off a package. And next thing you know, she's being kidnapped by Germans. I want to know what kind of deals that she did in the past. Because at the beginning, it mentions how she's picking up this package in exchange for tickets to go to the race, the car, um, the... The, some, uh, car, yeah. sports race, Thank car you. race, yeah. Um, I want to know what other packages she has picked up in the past and what she got in return for them because that's a very interesting arrangement that you have with your husband. Exactly. Um, and I think it also kind of highlights how as independent as she is and as strong-willed, there are still certain restraints to her as a wife that she just couldn't go out and do whatever she wanted. She had to negotiate with her husband to have his permission to go do this for her. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was, that's kind of, I don't know if, um, if Julie intended for that to be like the undertone, but I think it's a, a very interesting and subtle kind of nod to the restraints that women had back in, you know, the 30s and 40s, that uh, they couldn't just go do whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's, it's one of those things where I love with her character that she has, she's a very modern woman, but yeah, at the same time, she's very much a creature of her time. So she's, she's kind of pulled back on that a little bit too. So it's very unique. And I have to be honest, when I was first reading this, um, I had to do an internet search to see if Mary was real. Really? Yeah, I did. For like, I was like, is she a real person? Is this like the Nightingale? Is she based on somebody who's real? And I was just like, oh my gosh. And I went and searched, and there's some wonderful grandmothers by the same name as Mary. Um, <laughs> I think there might have been one who was a nurse in World War II. <laughs> but there was none that was a spy, at least that I know of, unless Mary grew up to be a very lovely little old gra unsuspecting grandma, which I could totally believe. I could buy that she becomes somebody's grandma unsuspecting. And when her children aren't looking, uh, she goes and gets her grandchildren into all kinds of trouble. That would be hilarious. That would totally be her. Probably. Now, I'm, when you, you mentioned that she was a spy, do you think... Do you think she was doing it on purpose, or do you think she was like an accidental spy? I think she's an accidental spy. Just like you said, she does this to get stuff out of it. She does it, you know, she likes the car races, and she likes doing the motorsports stuff. So she's like, you know, she she goes and she does it, and she just has, she she wants something out of it. She still has this very... I want to say almost immature kind of attitude where it's all just a game to her up until this point, really, you start to see it as the book progress progresses. We'll see that it she changes from it all being just a game to, Oh shit. There's lives actually in, at stake at this. I'm not just playing around. This is actually happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really like, um, 
how everything's starting to, I know, kid, if you went and laid down, you can go to sleep. Um, all the characters are tying together. I've um, gotten to the part where she is hiding out in the French countryside with, um, with Frank, mm -hmm. and they're kind of waiting it out, and Tom is with Will in the hospital, and he's recovering from uh, his gunshot wound. Um, and we're now we're starting to learn a little bit more about her past, and and this is the first time that her sister has really come into play, where you're learning about her sister. But there was that very brief mention of her sister after the um, radio transmission that um, Sidini mm -hmm. listened to. Mm -hmm. So. Now I'm starting to think that this is like a family affair and she's the only one that really has no clue what's going on. Yeah, I know. I, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell, but I think you're on, on a good track there. Um, yeah, I love how it kind of turns into a family thing. It turns into something so much more like it's, it's really a, even though it's, You've got a woman on the cover and it's, you know, Dido's crown. So you go into this expecting it to be about one woman and one person. It ends up being about this whole group ensemble. I love Will and I love Tom. Absolutely love Tom. And I love all of the characters in this, in this really, because they're all really well done. And for the most part, I'm rooting for every single one of them. Um, You've got great villains, great rounded stories in this. And you just, they're all unique and they all have their own stories and they all come together so well. I think she did a really great job of handling um, the different timelines because now there's, you know, three different timelines going on. There's the, there's the present and then you you're bouncing back to after uh, her father was killed and then you're bouncing back to even before that even happened when he's planning with Tom and Will and um, and she's just there you know mm -hmm. she's she's just taking care of the household um, and it can get really confusing when you know if, if it's not written properly and it's not handled correctly, it can get confusing to, to have the, that many storylines within such a close period of time. It's not like, you know, it's separated by hundreds or thousands of years. It's separated by like a couple decades. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that's another thing that you bring up that is interesting about our character because we're talking about it all being a fun and games right now for her. Mm -hmm. um, what about the fact that she was taking care of her family? If do you think that this is a her her irresponsibility her her desire to be irresponsible? Do you think it's a latent effect of her having to be the one to take care of her family up until you know with her um, with her father and her sister, and then I she grows up out of the house and just as like a mixture of her like in just how I see it, it's like a mixture of her trying to cope with her guilt for being so mad at her dad for making her be the caretaker mm -hmm. and 
you know, Abby got to run out and, you know, search for fairy rings and, you know, playing and be a kid. So, you know, there was all of that anger that she didn't get to, you know, she was, what, 16, 17, mm -hmm. maybe? Yeah, so um, she didn't really get much of a childhood, really, truly, when you think about it, because you would think, because I think from what I, the impression that I got was that her mom died when she was younger than that. She wasn't, she was still a bit of a child when her mom died. Yeah, and I, I think there, there was a mention that, um, that her house used to have um, a staff. Mm -hmm. I could be confusing her with Tom, but I I got the impression that her household used to have staff, and then it, it gradually, um, you know, they gradually went away until it was just her taking care of her her father and her sister. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think her you know her recklessness today and you know in the present day in the story is like a delayed rebellion mm -hmm. and also like some repressed anger and guilt about <laughs> being angry <laughs> because that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a fascinating book that has multiple aspects of it. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about having Julie at the festival. And I'm so excited to read, have everybody here read this book because it, it is a really great book. And you know, it's one of those things where when Michelle and I find books for each other to read, one of the things for me is Michelle has a really soft spot for sarcastic characters. Yes. <laughs> and it's not just sarcastic characters. It's the sarcastic heroines. Sarcastic heroines are the ones that she absolutely adores. And when I started reading this, I've been on her, oh gosh, I don't even remember when I first read the book. It was what, last August, September? Maybe. Yeah, it was closer to the fall, I think. But yes. Yeah, I was, and I was like, you got to read this book. You absolutely have to read this book. And so, of course, I do what I do when it comes to books that I want to make Michelle read. I choose it for a book of the month. <laughs> <laughs> and aren't you glad I did, Michelle? It's a really great book. I keep, and you know how, how you described it as Indiana Jones meets Casablanca. Yeah, I, I, I keep hoping that they'll accidentally stumble into Casablanca and <laughs> run into Rick. Like, would that not be? My only problem with this book, my only problem is that I'll read maybe a chapter and be like, I want to go watch Casablanca. I want to put the, exactly. I want to go watch. <laughs> it does, it really does make you want to watch Casablanca because. Confession time, confession time. I did not own Casablanca. And started reading this book. What? I finished reading the. I know, I know. I love Casablanca, and I finished reading this book. And the first thing I did was go on Amazon and buy Casablanca. That was the first thing I did. I think, and I think it's because Tom reminds me a lot of Rick. Yes, like character where he he does what he has to do. He you know mm -hmm. he does his duty. And he loves this woman. I don't know what's going to happen at the end, so I don't know if they end up together or not. But, you know, in Casablanca, he's madly in love with whatever her name is in the movie, Ingrid Bergman. Mm -hmm. um, but he lets her go because he knows that she is she 
is supposed to be with the other guy, even though she wants to be with him. And it's not just the fact that she needs to be with the other guy. It's the fact that she's safer mm -hmm. in America. He's doing what's best for her. And that's one of the things I love about Casablanca, where he doesn't do what's best for him. If he did what was best for him, he would keep her there with him, and they mm -hmm. would be together. But he does what's best for her. And that's Tom. So heartbreaking. And it's Tom, yes. It is Tom. Tom is so like Rick. Um, now, do you also get why I see the Indiana Jones thing? Because they're having to find this specific... Artifact, I believe, is what they're calling it at this point. Yeah, we don't know. I don't know what it is. I know that they found it at some point in time. Um, it's very, and I, I really like how she described it when the the scene with um, Frank and Will when they went into the the underground cavern place mm -hmm. to, to find it. She wrote it so well that you can like, you can feel the dirt on the package when she was pulling, when they were pulling it out of the ground. Oh, I love her use of language. Absolutely love it. Sorry, there's like one drop left and I really wanted to get it. You don't waste a drop of wine. You never waste a drop of wine. I am so proud of you. But yeah, you can totally, and that's one of the things I love about this book too, is like we, we read a little bit of a, a passage. And in fact, I can pull up another passage. I don't know if you've had any favorite passages that you've highlighted. I do, but my tablet is dead, so I can't pull it up. Okay, well, I can pull up uh, my notes and I can pull up one of my favorite passages. Um, okay, so the last week we read, uh, I read the passage about it being um, the setup, the first lines of it. Um, let me see here. Okay, this is I you know happens to be my favorite line. I think. Okay, I've got two here. The, these two are two of my favorites. So, so I'm gonna tell, read you guys two. One for me, one for Michelle. Um, and I think this is from the first chapter too. It's uh, the last mel melodic words of the call to prayer echoed away, and the busy streets of Bizzard slowed like a wind-up toy creaking to a stop. Just the imagery that's in that. I mean, when they tell writers to show, don't tell, right there, that's where you show. And then um, the next phrase, which I think is my all-time favorite it, from the whole book itself, is, if pressed, one would have to admit that they were neither neither of them cinematic han cinema handsome, yet admittedly there was an appealing sense of dash to them both. I remember you sent me that that line yes and that right there just describes the both of them the both will and tom and it sets them up right there and i just i love that i love her use of language in it well i'm really excited to see what happens next um we have this week we're doing chapters 14 through 27 um yes i believe so it sounds like a lot, but trust me, the chapters go by really, really fast. Yeah, the chapters are short. You go through them quite fast, um, especially because you've got to know exactly what happens next. Because you're like, oh my god, what happens? Um, so yeah, they're very, very short chapters. So don't be intimidated. 
Um, and Julie is joining us um, two weeks from tonight. Yes. Um, with hopefully no technical difficulties and no delayed wake-up calls. Yes, absolutely. And um, she'll she'll be with us at the end of the month, and she'll be at Boca de Oro Literary Festival. So read it now. Come and meet Julie at the festival. Um, listen to her read some of it, because I know I'm not the perfect um, orator, though I need to practice. <laughs> and... <laughs> And yeah, come and join us at Boca de Oro and come and join us at Wine, Women, and Words. Read the book beforehand. Yes. And we do have um, a new Instagram account. So yeah. go on and follow us because we post good pictures. We do. We do. We do post. I am great at pictures. I love posting the pictures. I've become a photographer when it comes to books. I'm like, work with me, work with me. Okay, and I'm done. Um, I know. I, I have a bench in, in the living room and I'll. Rich will see me have my cup of coffee, and I'll have like my coffee, my book, a notepad, maybe like a couple other books. And he's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I have to take a picture for Instagram, okay?" <laughs> and like ten minutes later, I'm still like aiming with my phone from different angles. <laughs> it's, it's a very difficult process. It is. It is. It is an art form, really. It truly is. So come check us out on there. Um, as always, you can find us here at YouTube at winewomanandwords.com and also on podcasts.com, um, SoundCloud. Our feed is on the SoundCloud. Um, though I haven't updated with specific episodes on there yet, you can actually get the links for that there. Um, we're also on Google Play. We're everywhere. And, huh? We're everywhere. We pretty much are, and I like. I've been trying to post um, the links to our podcasts on our Facebook page, so you can see them there too. Well, thank you about iTunes, which is my New Year's resolution, is is to get us on iTunes. All right, you can do it. I believe in you. Yes, that and actually finish that massive bookcase that I've got downstairs. That too, because I want to yes. see it when it's done. Oh God, yes, me too. I want to see it when it's done too. <laughs> I need a bookcase. <laughs> Well, I believe that is all for this evening. So everybody have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. Read your chapters. And next week we're actually going to have um, Kit from Writers Resist on our uh, show. And it's it's going to be really fun, really exciting. Um, we're going to get a little political, just to let you all know. Um, but it's going to be fun. And we're going to have a lot of fun with it. So have your wine and enjoy your week. And we'll see you next week, guys. Bye.